Aliens Explored is a podcast exploring famous and obscure cases of UFO sightings, alien abductions and other strange events from both a believing and a sceptical perspective whilst keeping an open mind. I'm Stu Jackson, a professional actor and amateur ufologist with a particular interest in the crop circle phenomenon. I'll be debating that otherworldly visitations are real. The truth is out there. And I'm Neil Kelly. I'm a professional actor as well and used to work for the military as an intelligence analyst. I'll be arguing from a more doubtful point of view. I mean, it's all a bit far-fetched, isn't it? In the early hours of February 25th, 1942, at the height of the war, an object was spotted over the skies of Los Angeles. That led to an hour's barrage from anti-aircraft guns and shells. And yet, no aircraft was ever found. Some claim it to be a UFO, others say it was a trick of the light. Join myself and Neil here on Aliens Explored as we discuss the 1942 UFO battle over Los Angeles. Hello listeners and welcome to Aliens Explored, your weekly look at the mysterious skies, whether those mysteries be terrestrial or extraterrestrial in origin. I'm one of your presenters, Neil Kelly. And I'm your other host, presenter, dingy, Stu Jackson. (laughs) We always always say host, that threw me. Yeah, sorry, yeah. (laughs) How are you doing, Neil? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very, very well, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, intriguing. You've gone straight with today's introduction of, yeah, we sometimes look at terrestrial <laughs> things. I suspect, <laughs> so we said at the end of the last episode, uh, you have opinions about today's oh, I, I do, yeah. But I, I, mean, I think it's a thread that runs through everything, isn't it? Is it, is it extraterrestrial in origin or does it have a more um, a prosaic explanation for it, something more, more grounded in that? You know, I, I think that's an important question we should always ask. Yeah, absolutely. so I just asked it. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, that's absolutely <laughs> fair. Tell us but, what we're going to be talking about today, then. This, this Today, we're going to be talking about uh, a sky battle that occurred uh, above Los Angeles in February 1942, and asking, were um, extraterrestrials involved in that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was well, amongst a big other things. Deal. We'll be asking that because <laughs> there's an awful lot of other there's an awful lot of other questions about that one. <laughs> I expect you've got yeah. quite a lot to say. It's a I have, yeah. Like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. But yeah, before we get into that, though, um, are you getting all ready for Christmas? Christmas. Um, yeah. I suppose I should really. Because uh, I'm going to be working, I've got a Father Christmas job, which is the first two weekends in December, and then flat out I'm I'm uh, away in accommodation from the 16th to the 24th. So I guess I've got less time than I thought to start sorting things out. I mean, yeah. my my wife will be pleased to not have me here for things like putting up the Christmas tree and and such like. <laughs> she she just <laughs> likes me out of the way for that sort of thing. You get under uh, the feet, dear. Yeah. How about yourself? <laughs> Are you ready for? I think so. I mean, at, at the time we're recording, the, well, 
we're recording this a week before this episode goes out, so mm. uh, this will be going up. There's there's just over a month to go for Christmas. Yeah, I'm. Um, um, I think I mentioned to you recently. I got uh, again a job, sort of playing the seasonally significant character. Mm. Um, I mean, this, this this is geared up for adults, so I think we're safe to say. What? Uh, no. Anyway, <laughs> we know what it is. <laughs> That's the important mm. thing. Yeah, um, doing that over Zoom. Sorry, again, I should have, I should have said yes. I'm working with Father Christmas. Oh, that's I'm why I understood that to me. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's what I understood that to mean. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a regular gig for us. Um, mm. But yeah, I yeah, I don't know if I'm doing that now. It's all gone a bit quiet on the Western Front. Uh, oh, has it? Oh dear. Some questions to him. So uh, yeah, we'll be. We'll see. We'll see. To be honest, do you know what? It's been years and years and years since I had a Christmas off. Like, as a season. Um, yeah, me too. But I didn't really welcome it because that was my kind of, it was a fallow time of year for me that um, the work that I was doing tended to dry up around about the beginning of November and didn't pick up again until the end of January. So it was, a, it, was it were lean times for me for a few years until I started getting seasonal work. Well, there's that, but also I've noticed, like maybe in the last, well, not so much last year, obviously, but um, in the few years running up to that, that actually I seem to be getting a lot of um, availability checks. So, you know, um, mm. for the non-actors listening, that's when someone says, like, would you be available for this? Um, potentially, it, yes. Potentially, yeah. If, um, if I were to be doing something, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I've been getting a lot. Like in previous years, I've been getting quite a lot of availability requests in December, and of course, I've been mm. unavailable. So, which is fine. Mm. Um, but I also feel I'm kind of missed out as well. So I don't know. Mm. I'm, I would. I wouldn't object. I don't know how I feel about it. The money's nice. The money's handy. It's nice to have the money, and I, I'd, I, I yeah, I'm not. I, that's what I'd rather be. In fact, you know, it makes me feel more Christmassy. You know, when I was when I was, especially when I was doing touring Panto and going around the care homes and things, and you'd arrive there and the trees are all up and they're all getting the Christmas spirit. Yeah, you know, and, and and it it was the three winters when it was very snowy here, which is um, for our American listeners, that's really unusual to have mm. deep snow around these parts, and yeah, it felt very Christmassy. So, well, that, yeah. do you know what that's that's a trope about snow at christmas in the uk mm. um and it just doesn't happen it it's like it's much much rarer than people actually realize we only really get snow like maybe at the end of january but more february is much mm. more common even through to april i've known and, and has snow. it always been so i mean there's this feeling that you, know, you see all these Christmas cards of Dickensian or Victorian Christmas scenes and people out on the frozen Thames. And was that bullshit then as well? It or was. was. It as no, yeah. it was. And you, you have inadvertently cited the root cause of all of this. It yes. all comes down to Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Hmm. That is what puts this image, this idea in our heads of snow at Christmas. Okay. Purely down to Christmas Carol. Because he talks about like it's snowing at Christmas. Mm. 
Um, but he but he used that as kind of almost well he, he used a lot of metaphors obviously and you know yeah. very keen on social I mean he wasn't keen on social injustice he was very anti social injustice but he was mm. very keen on talking about social injustice was Charles Dickens um, yeah but the whole the snow was a metaphor but yeah yeah so now because of a Christmas Carol we expect snow at Christmas um, mm. which I I'm going to say is the ultimate white privilege. So at Christmas, see, yeah, I, uh, that's my attempt at Christmas humour, and this is why I'm not a comedian. You can, you can change the words to the old Bing Crosby song. I'm dreaming of white privilege at Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, um, anyway. Oh gosh, so um, we talk about snow in January and February. Um, mm. Going back nearly 80 years, 79 years. Um, in fact, no, it'll be it'll be eight years in a couple of months uh, to the 25th of February 1942. Oh, how's mm. that for a segue? Well, we're also coming <laughs> up to the anniversary of the Pearl Harbor attack, aren't we? Are we? I, I yeah. don't know. I don't know when that is. Um, ninth was it? Ninth of December, 1941. Right, which is which okay. is very significant in this uh, in this story. Um, um, it is uh, yes, because it just happened, obviously. Mm. Um, yes, so um, so yeah, we're talking about the the battle over the, the sky battle over Los Angeles. Yes, um, was it was it a UFO sky battle? Now, to to put this in context, yes, it was less than three months after the after the Pearl Harbor attack. Mm-hmm. So all America was was in a in a panic. Um, this was um, apparently um, unsubstantiated reports of approaching aircraft had caused a minor invasion panic in New York City and and sent stock prices tumbling. And then um, um, the United States Secretary of War, Henry Stimson, warned that American cities should be quote, prepared to accept occasional blows from enemy forces. And then just a few days later, on February the 23rd, 1942, a Japanese submarine surfaced off the coast of Santa Barbara and um, threw a few, uh, more than a dozen artillery shells at an oil field and refinery in California, doing minimal damage, unfortunately, on that occasion. Um, And then, of course, the following night... Um, this is when we have the the air battle. Now, I suppose you've got to think about you know, what what things were like in California at that time. They they'd just been attacked. Um, war had just been declared. There was a panic. Have you have you seen the film Steven Spielberg's film 1941, which is about that sort of era? Of I panic? have not. Uh, hold up my hands. Let me give you a piece of advice. Fucking avoid it. You know, <laughs> it's. it's <laughs> It's a piece of crap. Um, I decided in preparation for this episode, I would watch it. And um, my wife, Janet, said, well, she wanted to watch it because she'd seen it before when it first came out back in 1979, 1980. Um, I hadn't seen the film, but I'd read the book because I was a squaddy in Germany in barracks and you'd while away a lot of the time reading whatever paperback novels were around, which would generally be bought off the book rack in the naffy. And one of these was a copy of 1941, which is an amusing enough book, but never got to see the film. Watched it again last week, and it's a sort of sub-police academy type screwball comedy that that 
that just doesn't work on so many levels. It's a very poorly misjudged. It, it flopped at the time, and um, it hasn't improved with time either. Right. In fact, it's got... But, you know, star, big stars, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd in these sort of comedy roles about the, the sort of panic in America as they prepared their defences because, um, yeah, they were expecting to be attacked imminently. I think also um, a lot of Americans didn't really appreciate how far away Pearl Harbor or Hawaii is away from the American mainland. Um, I know we like to laugh at Americans and their poor geography because, you know, they can't point to, they can't point out France on the map of Western Europe, but I've also met Americans who are very good geography. In fact, I've been led on a walking tour of London by an American who was very, very knowledgeable. And of course, yeah, you know, I probably couldn't point out Uttar Pradesh on a map of India. So, you know, who am I to laugh at someone's else I, not having? No. I definitely wouldn't be laughing at anybody for their joke because my yeah. geography is appalling. I could barely point out North America. <laughs> there you go. And 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 you're laughing at me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, if we're talking about Americans not realizing how far away Pearl Harbor was from the American mainland, you know, they, they've suffered the trauma of this this attack. And then if and then the night before the an, an actual attack on the mainland, a submarine um mm. with its with its with its deck gun firing shells into an oil refinery. Yep. Well, you think in nineteen eighty two, and I remember how how old were you in nineteen eighty two? I was nine, Neil. You were nine. But you know, I was an adult and I was in the army. And I remember very clearly how the, the morning when the British public woke up to the news that the Falkland Islands had been invaded by Argentina. I remember. I remember and there were these yeah. howls of outrage and rage and promises of revenge, followed very shortly by people saying, well, hang on a minute, just, just where exactly are the Falkland Islands anyway? And a lot of people were apparently looking around the British coastal waters. Is it somewhere down near the Scilly Islands or somewhere up near the Orkneys <laughs> and whatever? Um, that, that, that Argentina has laid this bizarre um, territorial claim to. But no, of course, it turned out the Falkland Islands are actually off the coast of Argentina and it's Britain's bizarre territorial, territorial claim that's being disputed here. So... Um, yes. it, let's not let's not laugh too hard at people not quite knowing where where things are until no. they actually that, become significant. There's a series of books. Um, you, you'll undoubtedly know this as as probably I would have thought most of our British listeners will recognise. Mm. Uh, called Adrian Mole, oh, yes. Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, and it charts the. It's basically it's done in the form of a diary uh, from a kid growing up in the 80s and uh, I remember reading it because I, I related very heavily to mm. Adrian Mole. That's a bit of an admission right yeah. there on the podcast. Um, but uh, yeah, there was one bit they mentioned about, because they set it to real world events and they talked about mm. the Falkland Islands and he said like, I tried finding the Falkland Islands on a map of the world last night and um, and struggled for like hours to find it and eventually found it when I moved a crumb of cake. <laughs> yeah that's that's about it um yeah we've we've gotten off topic ever so slightly i think yeah there, but um but, but yes I, I i i i get the panic at the time uh it means mm. that people are going to be much more vigilant they're going to be watching the skies and of course if there is a you know i won't even say ufo if hypothetically there were a flying saucer or an alien spacecraft, mm. um, an extraterrestrial vehicle in the skies, 
it's it's much more likely to get noticed in that environment, and it's or, or much a, more likely to get fired upon, or or a, or a, a weather balloon, or um, an, a, a misidentified friendly aircraft, or or whatever. So all along the south coast, all along the west coast of America, they're setting up their their anti-aircraft installations, they're setting up their floodlights, they're setting up their artillery. And what Americans had yet to learn about anti-aircraft fire, um, which which Londoners had certainly experienced during the Blitz and, um, and, and had actually experienced in the First World War, because that was when aircraft first had the capability, when the, the Zeppelin raids in the First World War, that um, Britain would take these enormous naval guns and mount them on concrete in London and shoot them up into the air to try and shoot down these, these Zeppelins. And, of course, what they discovered was that um, I'm not quite sure how the how the shells worked. They were either on a timer or they had an altimeter in them to, to, make, them, you know, to make them go off at the right altitude. So you fire them right. up roughly in the direction of the enemy aircraft and they will explode in the sky. Okay. Um, some of them don't explode, so... What goes up must come down. That's yes. going to come down, and if you fire it over your city, that's going to that's going to cause damage. Um, and even if they do explode, you've got shrapnel flying everywhere. It's sometimes big enough chunks to cause serious damage back down. Well, it's meant to cause serious damage in the sky, but it will also cause serious damage to wherever it happens to fall on the ground. Um, during the Second World War, apparently. Um, the Ministry of Information, Ministry of War, were quite sanguine about it. Perfectly happy to admit that yes, Londoners were being killed by our own anti-aircraft fire, uh, perhaps more so than by enemy bombs. Um, it was only after the war that they started to get a bit cagey about it, and so oh, this is in, this is a uh, sensitive information. Yeah, well, but, then uh, it's so, not in wartime, is it? And you can't use yeah. that as like your cloak of invulnerability anymore. No, you um, can't. Um, but no, and certainly that happened in Los Angeles. Um, you had 0. 0.50 caliber machine guns being fired, but you more importantly had these, yeah, 12.8 pounds um, anti-aircraft mm. shells being fired for a long period of time. And yeah, there was mm. a lot of property destroyed. There was... Uh, I think was it four fatalities, I believe, and twelve injuries, something like that. Mm. So perhaps less than it could have been. Absolutely, yeah. This stuff going up and um, and, and people, coming down again. I mean, a fifty caliber round is that's a big bullet. You know, that, that, yeah. that coming back down to earth is going to. You well, know, if, you, that hit if me, you're yeah. firing at aircraft, then yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, this was so. This was being fired from. 3.16 a.m. by the 37th Coast Artillery Brigade, mm. and they fired over 1,400 shells. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that if they were defending Los Angeles, the attacks were going to come from the west, maybe from the northwest, but you know, Los Angeles is in that little corner, tucked a little corner on the western coast of the state, so... Mm -hmm. Um, if you're sort of in the southern part of Los Angeles and you head west, you're straight in the sea. If you're in the northern part, you actually can travel quite a long way over land. But you would think that a large part of their fire would be directed over the sea, wouldn't you, at, a, at an incoming you know, carrier-borne force? But you apparently would, not. You apparently. Would. Um, and indeed, there's, there's, it's, it's fairly famous now, and I would... Um... I would say to listeners, if you Google the LA UFO Battle of 1942, uh, you'll see this. Th there's quite a famous photo um, hmm. of the searchlights on 
what looks, to all intents and purposes, like a flying saucer. And it you see them firing at it. Um, and it's worth bearing in mind that, that they're firing at what was basically a stationary object mm-hmm. for nearly an hour, for 58 minutes. 58 minutes before the all clear was sounded. Mm. 14 over 1400 shells fired at an object stationary. Now you you, you mentioned weather balloon earlier. Mm. A weather balloon's not going to withstand that kind of barrage for an hour, Neil. Um that's assuming they can hit it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they've only got to hit it once probably to bring it down, but... um, Well, 1%, let's say 1%, mm. 99% missed. That leaves leaves 140 shells of these 12.8-pound shells. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the way anti-aircraft fire works, I mean, in in the Second World War... um, aircraft in the sky would use more or less the same tactics that soldiers in the field used up until the Battle of Waterloo. So basically you've got the bombers as the infantry. They'd come flying in and they had to, well, say infantry in the field, they they would be attacked by cavalry. So in order to not get picked off, they would form a tight square and they would put their pikes out and they would have their muskets and they would be fending off the cavalry. But that also makes them a target, you know, because they're nicely bunched in a square, makes them an easy target for artillery. And it was the same with aircraft in the Second World War. Bombers would fly in close formation so that any fighters attacking them would be potentially fired at by several aircraft as they they came in. Um, But, of course, the fighters would get them to group together in tight formation and drive them into the anti-aircraft barrage because all you're doing is firing a shell an aircraft at 20, 30,000 feet is very difficult to hit with an artillery shell, but you're basically so. firing up into the area where it's, where it's, it's thick with planes and, um, and it, it goes off and hopefully some shrapnel will do some damage because, you know, it's aircraft holes in those, in those days wouldn't have withstood very much. They well, certainly indeed. weren't bulletproof or shrapnel proof and neither were the airmen inside them. Um, well, that's so, it. But, but also firing up into the sky, you've got a lot of flashes, you've got a lot of smoke, you, the, the sky would become obscured very quickly. And you've got, you know, people will start imagining shapes in the smoke. They'll start imagining, they'll see a flash in the smoke, they think, oh, there's something up there. But basically, they're just told, point the gun in that direction and just keep firing shells until we tell you to stop. They're not really but looking at a target. Uh, you've got spotlights, though, on an object. You've got spotlights. The yeah. photo shows the spotlights on an object. Seems and, to be. I mean, it's it's several spotlights converging, isn't it? Yes, and and you quite rightly said. You know, they'd be firing out to sea. So if you're getting property and people being injured, property being damaged, that hmm. suggests that these shells are bouncing back off something, doesn't it? No, it suggests that they're either not going off and falling back to earth and exploding, or they are going off and shrapnel is scattering around, and also 50 caliber rounds are coming back down. So, um, I can understand shrapnel from a, a shell injuring people, but damaging hmm. property? That's. Oh, God, yeah. You, you think a, a, a large artillery shell. 
that's not going to break into tiny fragments. So there will be tiny fragments. So there'll also okay. be big fragments. You know, you've got heart, say the the base of a shell or the nose cone of a shell coming down. Yeah, that'll go straight through your roof. Okay, fair, fair enough. I'll I'll stand corrected on that. But for an hour, hmm. an hour before but, all clear is called. Yeah, when they've got spotlights on an object. A stationary airborne object. object. Yeah. But they could be getting reflections off the... I mean, these are people... They've just been called up for military service. They've never done this before. Um, Their lights could be reflecting off the clouds. It could be anything up there. All sorts of meteorological things that they they could be misidentifying. And what about the photo itself? The photo It's difficult... From that photo, it's difficult to say what it is. Yeah, you can see it looks like at least eight searchlights converging on on one spot and it's all that could that just be where they where they're all meeting that's causing that bright spot that's reflection of of a cloud or something it's because there seems to be lots of i mean getting getting um, good quality low light footage today is not that easy uh, because either you you're basically you're making the darkness much much brighter, which means that anything that is bright is mm. going to be just blown out completely and and too yeah. bright to to recognise, or everything's too dark and any bright spots, you know, just that's all you can see. So it is oh, it oh. is a very difficult thing, and that's why you have to do photo enhancement on, yeah. the, on an image. I, like I mean, that. yeah, maybe yeah, because there's lots you can see lots of other little dots around it. That are obviously tricks of, I mean, is that reflected off the camera? Is that the camera lens doing that? Or is that, you know, I don't know what that is. Because anything bright is going to be shown to be extremely bright so that you can get the the resolution, basically, of, of the image. Uh, I'm mm. not a photography expert, just to say. If any of our listeners are, uh, yeah. we'd love to hear your opinion about this photo. I mean, it could be they shot down the balloon with the first shot and then just carried on firing because that no one told them to stop. Okay, so where was the balloon? Um, this is... There was no well, wreckage when, according, found. According to the... the um, to Wikipedia, um, when documenting the incident in 1949, the United States Coastal Artillery Association identified a meteorological balloon sent aloft at 1 a.m. as having started all the shooting and concluded that once firing started, imagination created all sorts of targets in the sky and everyone joined in. Right. Um, so in, seven in years later... Yeah, seven then years 19... later, the military said, "Ah, it was a weather balloon." We've heard that story before, Neil. Yeah. Oh, yes, oh we, we have. actually captured a flying saucer. No, wait, it was a weather balloon. Well, whatever it was, either they they didn't shoot it down, or if, if they if they shot a balloon to pieces, it landed in the sea and no one found it. Um, in 1983, the U.S. Office of Air Force History attributed the event to a case of war nerves triggered by a lost weather balloon and exacerbated by stray flares and shell bursts from adjoining batteries. Hmm. So you've got everything going up in the sky. You've got, you've got tracer rounds, you've got artillery, you've got flares, you've got searchlights. You've got, 40, you've got an awful lot of... 40-odd years later. Yeah, you've got an awful lot going on up in yeah. the sky. But, but 
New information I, I found 40 years later. Come on, Neil. Yeah. But, <laughs> but this isn't the only time this has happened. You know, um, army, armies fire on each other all the time. Well, that's that's their job, one would argue. No, it's not their job to fire on, on um, phantom targets. Or not on phantom each other. targets, no. Yeah, or oh. on each other. On, on, on friendly targets, no, no. I mean, there's a very notorious case. I mean, we all know about the bloody Sunday massacre in Northern Ireland, but mm-hmm. around the same time, there was the Bally Murphy massacre in Belfast, which people didn't even realise it was going on until um, they held a memorial, and lots of people realised that their their loved ones had all died on the same day, and they worked out where the British Army were. They had these sort of high watchtowers scattered at various points around the city, and they all thought that they were being fired on because they were missing because. They, Someone would start shooting at someone they'd see down in the street. Someone in a, a, a tower over the other side would say, we're being fired at. So they would start shooting. And it was all just, it was just total mayhem. They were all just firing into the city at anything that moved. Um, yeah. because, and, and, and the only fire was coming from friendly fire. But it was just, mm. they didn't have enough information. That's appalling and very, very sad. Um, so I, I think this is just... I mean, I've seen it myself as a as a trainee soldier on exercise that um, you're sat there in a in a shell scrape in a little hole at night. Um, time drags by very very slowly. You start hallucinating. Things start moving around in front. It's just pitch black in front of you, but you start seeing shapes in the darkness, and then suddenly someone starts shooting at something, and um, and then everyone opens fire. You don't know what you're firing at. You just fire into the you know. Firing in a in, random direction. Well, no. What you'd have um, when when you're set up in your post, uh, 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 you know, to, to watch out for night, you would set up what you call your night sticks. Um, that your your sergeant would come around and say, right, your field of fire is from that rock there on the left to that tree there on the right. And what you do, you plant two sticks in the ground so that your rifle wouldn't move outside of that. It would hit the stick. Right. Every time. And you would just fire within that. It would just open up. So as soon as the shooting starts, you just shoot everywhere within your field of fire. Wow. And what if what if an uh, unarmed, innocent civilian happens to be in your field of fire? Um, well, that's not the kind of war we were training for. We weren't training for a war where there would be unarmed, innocent civilians around. Um, that that is a much more nuanced situation, which requires a much higher degree of training. We, we sometimes trained alongside um, police officers who were much more highly trained. They spent much more time on the range than us uh, because they had to. They knew they would have to. They would have to pick out targets from an ambiguous environment. Whereas for a soldier, especially a soldier whose main job isn't being an infantry soldier, is yeah, you're sent out there. There's your field of fire. Anything that moves within that, just shoot at it. Right. And keep shooting until it stops moving, or till we tell you to stop. Insightful. I'm learning new stuff <laughs> all the time. Um, well, I mean, so so I think it's safe to say. I think we now know what you think about the LA UFO battle in, 19, yes. <laughs> in 1942. Um, that it wasn't it, well a UFO, yes, but not an extraterrestrial mm. vehicle. Is that fair to say? Um, I, I can't really see any evidence for an extraterrestrial vehicle, and I can see an awful lot of evidence for jittery nerves and um, trigger happiness. I can I can certainly see jittery nerves. I can see 
people being trigger happy. Um, but I, I find that photo quite compelling. I've got to say, and there's, Hmm. I mean, we haven't even touched on eyewitness accounts or anything like that, which, um, which supports a flying saucer of some description. Um, Hmm. so I, yeah, no, I, I'm pretty sure I think people were far more observant of the skies and that's why it was seen and spotted and happened to be fired upon because it's basically wandered into almost a war zone. They were observant. They were observant of the skies, but uh, didn't really know what they were looking at. I mean, these days, um, you know, it's all done electronically that an incoming yes. aircraft, a, a, a friendly aircraft returning, will have um, it, it, it will emit a certain signal. So that when it gets picked up on the air defense radar, um, they will be able to identify it as a friendly plane coming in. And, and a plane that doesn't have that signal is an enemy, so they shoot at it. And obviously, that that never goes wrong. No. But in, <laughs> back in the back in the Second World War, um, they just had these books, and it just had the sort of pictures, the silhouette pictures of, yes. of aircraft, of friendly and enemy aircraft. I mean, my my, I, I used to have a couple that my my uncle, because my uncle grew up during the war in in London, and and he had them, and it was just you know, so you can identify the shape of. Of a, a Messerschmitt as opposed to a Spitfire, wow. and, just um, from the silhouette. Yeah, yeah, but that's what they're going on. They've never actually mm. seen one of these planes. They're just going on the, 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 what that silhouette looks like at night. You know, I, I don't give them much hope. Well, that's what that's what you think. That's what I think. What do you think, though, listeners? Was the LA UFO battle indeed extraterrestrial? As I as I believe, or was it much more? I won't say mundane. Uh, but terrestrial in nature, <laughs> as Neil is ascertaining. Do let us know via the usual means. You can contact us on Facebook and on Twitter by searching Aliens Explored, or you can email us aliensexplored at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to know what you think, as we always do. We love hearing from people, don't we, Neil? We love hearing from people. We don't hear from you enough. We don't indeed. Uh, so do get in touch. Let us know what you think on that one. And uh, join us next time when there'll be something else for you to let us know what you think about. Uh, we are going to be talking about a very mysterious area in Mexico, the Zono del Silencio. Apologies for my pronunciation if that's incorrect. And, and those of you who think I've got strong opinions about the Air Battle of Los Angeles. I've got even stronger opinions about El Zona del Silencio. Oh, so, my uh, goodness. Del Silencio. Yeah. Uh, a whole week to wait before <laughs> you hear about that. Uh, I wonder what those opinions will be. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm in fact, on this one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be drawing a firm line on this one. Ooh. I'm going to be silent no longer. Interesting. Well, let's see. Join us next time to find <laughs> out. Uh, <laughs> In the meantime, uh, keep watching those airplane silhouettes and the skies. And uh, I'll, 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 I'll be stewing until then. Catch you then. <laughs> I'm stewing. Yes, stew, but I'll be stewing. <laughs> Take care. Bye bye. Aliens Explored is a Fecal Films production in association with Juicy Falls. Music by Darren Mafucci and editing by Stu Jackson. Find us on Twitter or Facebook by searching Aliens Explored. 
or visit us on aliensexplored.com.